A week after the Rebels went down and defeated Mexico, the uh, the Death Star, the Mexicans have struck back and defeated the LA Galaxy and Seattle Sounders. This is the SBI show, Star Wars reference. I am Garrett Cleverly. Ivis Glarsip is in Jersey. What's up, man? Just want to let everyone know I had nothing to do with that. That's Star Wars. shut up. You're such a freaking liar. I did an open, and Ivis was like, "No, no, no! I have this hilarious Star Wars thing we should do," and and that's what we did. So we're gonna stick with it. I've never seen a Star Wars movie. Are you serious? I've seen pieces and bits and wait, pieces. Wait, wait, I think wait, I wait, wait. Stop, seen stop, stop. You have not sat down and never seen a Star Wars movie. Not the old one. Oh, man, you're going to be crushed. You are going to be crushed after this I show. Not, I don't think I am. Hey, you know what? I'm so, you know, let me tell you, I'm such a geek that I, I go at midnight to see these things, so. I think I did that for Phantom Menace. That was like the only one I've ever seen. Well, I go for all of them. This is, let's get back to the show. This is the SBI show. Like I said, I'm Gary Cleverly. That is Ivis Glarsup. We have a great show for everyone today, we're going to talk to Matt Beasler. We're going to talk to DeAndre Yedlin. We're going to talk MLS. We're going to talk Hall of Fame, U.S. Men's National Team, a bunch of other things. But like we said, though, Ivis, LA Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders, they both find themselves in a big-time hole, and the Galaxy might have been the worst defeat. They looked like they controlled that game. Monterey comes back and scores two goals late. Horrible loss for the Galaxy. It's absolutely a gut punch for them. And, uh, you know, anyone that was watching that game, when it was halftime in that game, you had, uh, you know, if you're a Galaxy fan or if you're an MLS fan, you're thinking, this is going to be it. This could be, this could be the time that an, um, that an MLS team beats Monterey, knocks them out, and, and maybe wins a, wins a CONCACAF Champions League. And then everything turned around in the second half, and Monterey showed why they are the two time defending champions. And now the Galaxy head down to Monterey. And I don't want to say it's going to be an impossible mission, but it's pretty close. And if it was a movie, I think Tom Cruise would be the, would be the star of that movie. Wait, what? Tom Cruise? Mission Impossible, man. Come on. You do your Star Wars reference, I do my Mission Impossible. I, I, um, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, but when you look at the game, though, Ivis... Uh, you know, the first goal for Monterey was kind of a bang, play, bang, bang play in the box. Ball came in, you know, kind of lots of confusion. Ball scored. The second goal, I think, is the one that everyone's kind of flipping their minds on. And Omar Gonzalez, a week after, you know, everyone was singing his praises, you know, got caught, I guess, maybe not being focused or, or ball watching or whatever. And Monterey scored. You know, what, what, what do you take from Omar Gonzalez on this? Because we see him have such great games. And then we see him have kind of these little mental mistakes. What's what, what's the deal with that? He just had a breakdown. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, he let up at the wrong time, and and it, you know, obviously, people, a lot of people were mentioning the Honduras game when when he had kind of one of those similar moments uh, on Honduras's game winning goal. I mean, he's still an outstanding defender, but it, it is something he needs to work on. Concentrating for ninety minutes, uh, ninety plus minutes, because actually it was stoppage time when that play happened. But, you know, again, the Galaxy played a great game for about 55 minutes, 60 minutes, and then they started to fall apart. And, and I know Juninho getting injured definitely didn't help them. It, it hurt them in, in, in quite a bit. But still, it, what it boils down to, it, for me, it boiled down to two, two breakdowns. And I know everyone wants to talk about all these other excuses, all these other reasons why the Galaxy lost, why MLS teams lose. 
you all you have to do is look at those breakdowns. Though that that's why they lost Omar Gonzalez and and on the first goal for me, AJ De La Garza, who scored the LA goal, but also had a big hand in that first goal they gave up. It's it's just very tough for the Galaxy. I mean, when you look at this, Ivis, do, do you do you give him any chance in the next leg? No, I don't give him any chance. I mean, here's the thing, right? If Landon Donovan was 100% and, and he was on form, uh, you, you'd like their chances, you know, because I, I think with, with him and and Robbie Keane, uh, you know, two really dangerous players, plus Jose Villarreal, I mean, you, you'd think maybe they can get a result. And teams have gone down there and got a result. Uh, Real Salt Lake got a draw there in the final a uh, few years back. Uh, the C- Seattle beat beat them down there. But I think it's going to be a completely different story. Uh, you know, it's sold out already. The the game in Monterey is sold out. Uh, you know, they're they're rolling right now. They they they're going to come into that game confident. Uh, the only thing going, the only thing in LA's favor, I'd say, is the fact that Monterey has to play a game uh, that weekend, and LA doesn't. So you know, they're going to have that fatigue issue. But again, they're a deep team. Uh, they bring quality off their bench. They bring guys off their bench who could probably be designated players in MLS. Uh, so you know they'll they'll be able to deal with that. So for me, I, I really don't think the Galaxy have a chance unless Landon Donovan and, and Robbie Keane and Jose Villarreal pull out some serious magic. You know, I had a chance. I read some of the comments that everyone had on your website, and, and sometimes I read them because I think they're hilarious. And you know, some of the people who you know obviously listen to our show, we thank all of them, and, and obviously I was the people that read your website. Some people have just the funniest comments, and I mean, one of the things that I that I saw was you know everyone's talking about how. You know, the U- MLS is not as good as the Mexican League, and MLS is never going to be good if they don't spend more money on players and they don't bring in more DPs. I mean, wh- what do you say to all that stuff? Because you know, when I look at it, I-, I just view it as you know, the Mexican teams they just they were just the better teams, and I mean, MLS is really not that far away yet. This is what I'd say, and I know there was a lot of that talk after this game. There was a lot written and a lot said about the salary cap, about MLS needing to spend more money. And that's the reason that the, that these teams faltered, that the Galaxy and the Seattle Sounders faltered. I'm sorry, but I'm not buying it. When you talk about the LA Galaxy, you know they had, you know, you as a team, you're allowed to have three designated players. They had one in their starting lineup. Uh, the other was Landon Donovan, who obviously, you know, as we all know, went on a sabbatical. He needed a break. He needed a vacation. And the other one is the 30p slot. They are not using. They I haven't filled yet. Now that's not the league's fault. That's the Galaxy's fault. So you know the resources are there for them to have a stronger team, and for for these other circumstances or for whatever reason they didn't maximize that. And, and not only that, I mean, as I said earlier, it came down to some breakdowns. Omar Gonzalez had a breakdown. The salary cap is not is not wouldn't have affected that. Omar Gonzalez would still be the starting center back for the Galaxy, whether or not there's that cap increase that everyone wants so you know it it still comes down to players making plays is monterey a more expensive team yes are they a deeper team yes but that is for me that is not why they lost because you know what juninho got hurt and whether it's juninho or whether it's uh you know ronaldinho or some dp player you know if, if if one of your top guys gets hurt you can't really account for that and and i and i know you can look at monterey and say well they bring top players off their bench but we we can't expect MLS teams to spend on the same level as Mexican teams. That's not where the league is, and even the sp- even increasing the spending to some degree isn't going to close that gap. I still think the resources are there for teams to do well and to win these games. But you know they they have only themselves to blame. The Seattle Sounders are in the same boat. They've spent money. They went and spent money on Obafemi Martins. They spent millions on them. 
And what happens? He injured his knee in international duty. He's not. He he isn't there. The rest of the team has been in a funk. Uh, you know, we're talking about one of the most expensive teams in the league, expensive rosters in the league, and they're just not playing well. And and so I think honestly, I think it, it's it's a bit of a cop out. The whole idea of the salary cap would it help? Would it help MLS if there was more money spent? Absolutely. I've been saying that for a while. But in the case of this particular tournament and these semifinals, I think it's 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 a poor excuse. To, to use the salary cap as the reason why these teams didn't win. No, I, I agree with you 100% on that. Let's look at the uh, Seattle Sounders game real quickly right here. Uh, lots of changes for the Sounders. Um, they got uh, shellacked a little bit by Real Salt Lake over the weekend in MLS play. Then they come back, and, and Shari Joseph is now in the lineup making his debut. Cho uh, is up top kind of all by himself. Marcus Hanneman is back there as goalkeeper. You know, the Sounders, they played a little bit better. It's, it's good to see that, but... They just couldn't finish it, and, and I mean, there's Hercules Gomez who you know goes and, and scores the goal against a, another team that let him go, you know. And, and, and for the Sounders, it's it brings back nightmares of last year. And like the Galaxy, they have another you know mountain to climb to, uh, you know, to advance to the next round. Let's well, advance to the finals. Excuse me. Well, here's the thing. I mean, Siggy Schmidt had a really tough decision to make because obviously the Sounders were not playing well at all with their full strength team. So he had, he had he had a decision to make. Does he bring in? Does he bring back most of his full strength roster, his lineup, uh, and put them back on the field on short rest, or does he shake up his lineup and and maybe sit some guys who aren't playing well, who are in, who are in funks, and really try to shake things up, send a message, and maybe give some other guys on his bench an opportunity to prove themselves? And in a way, you could argue, yes, you know, that's sacrificing the series in a way. But at the same time, there's no guarantee. That if Siggy Schmidt put out his first choice, all of his all of his available first choice players, there was absolutely no guarantee that that team would have gotten a better result. I mean, anyone who's seen Seattle play this season can tell you they are just not playing well. They're they're underachieving for the talent on that roster. They're really not playing well at all. They're not in sync, uh, and it really is for me similar to last year with the Galaxy when the Galaxy started off so terribly, and you just couldn't put your finger on it. And they, but they were just in a funk, and that, and right now that's what the Seattle team's in. And I still think they're going to be a great team at the end. I think they're going to figure this. They have too much talent. Siggy Schmidt Schmidt is too good a coach. They'll turn it around. They'll be in the mix at the end. But for right now, they are not playing well at all. And Siggy Schmidt had to make a decision, so he did it. And you know what? They played better, but it wasn't wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough to beat a team like Santos Laguna, who's so strong, uh, you know, all over the field, so much talent. And, you know, even though it was only 1-0, I mean, for them to have to go down to Torreon, uh, and beat Santos Laguna. I mean, that for me, that that's almost uh, almost more a more impossible mission than the Galaxy's mission. And Ivis, uh, one of the uh, few bright spots for the Seattle Sounders this year, DeAndre Yedlin has you know obviously you know impressed everyone and is receiving national attention. We have him on the line right now. DeAndre, how you doing today? Good. How are you guys? We are doing excellent. Um, very special season hey. for you so far as a rookie going into the season. Obviously, like all players, you want to play, you want to prove yourself to the coach, but all of a sudden, you found yourself in some big games, playing some big time minutes. You know, what do you translate that success to that that you've been able to have so far? Um, I mean, playing. Obviously, I have to give a lot of the credit to uh, Caleb and all the coaches at Akron and just the whole atmosphere at Akron because it was such such a professional environment, and I think it definitely prepared me well for this. And Caleb, to me, kept kept stressing, you know, be mentally strong because at the next level, that's that's what you you need. Um, so, I mean, obviously I have to give a lot of the credit to him, to Siggy for giving me a chance, you know, to 
to step on the field and uh, the Seattle staff, and then just for Seattle players for you know trusting in me and um, and making my job making my job easier. And DeAndre, when you went to uh, Akron, it, it seemed like the countdown was pretty much on as soon as you went there about when you'd go, when you turn pro. You know, how many years would you be there? Would you be there one year, two years, three years? Uh, what, what, what ultimately kind of made you make the decision this off season to, to kind of make that move and and, to, and talk a little about that preseason camp, that first camp as a pro, and what that was like? Yeah, I mean, it was. It just seemed like a, a right time to go. I mean, um, Caleb was leaving and. You know, um, so I thought it'd be a good time to go, and um, also just the the Sounders were in a situation where uh, the the right back position was a little, little bit shifty. So I mean, that was another that was you know I was looking at it as another opportunity. Uh, and then yeah, going into camp, um, it was good. I mean, I it was it was definitely hard, especially coming in as a young player, not really knowing what to expect. You know, everybody telling you different things, um, but. Eventually, especially with the guys in Seattle, they, they they make you feel so so welcome there, and um, you know I just got got used to it over time, and eventually, you know, worked my way up, and luckily now to a starting position. Yeah, now, all good locker rooms uh, and good teams have have veteran guys who kind of take the younger players under their wing. Who who's the kind of veteran guy that, that that's kind of taking you under his wing? Is there is there anyone that's kind of worked with you a little closely or kind of been someone that that's talked to you you know through this whole process? Uh, honestly, the, really all the veterans have been have been pretty helpful towards me. I mean, the guys on the back line a bit more so than obviously the attacking players, just because they've played in my role played in my role before. But um, you know, all the players are are helpful, and all players. Um, Help me, especially with call, like calming me down before games or uh, getting my nurses to me. Telling me I'm a you know a good player, keeping my confidence up, um, positive with me. So it, it really is everybody. Uh, I'll, I'll follow up with one more. I got. I have to ask you now. You, you played with Siggy now. Uh, you've been able to play under him, and obviously you played with Caleb for for a couple of years at Akron. Well, how are the, can you kind of compare those guys as coaches? And, and now that now that you know you're in the middle of that rivalry, that Portland Seattle rivalry, uh, yeah. and and you see Caleb on that other sideline. I mean, what's that like? And and how do you compare those two guys, those two coaches? Um, I mean, C- Caleb is a very intense coach. He likes to motivate his team through you know just straight intensity and. Um, yeah, I mean, he has, he has a lot of fire in him, and he's very, very passionate. I mean, both are great coaches, obviously. Siggy's very passionate, too, but he, you know, he stays a little bit more calm and uh, likes to let the players, you know, kind of pump themselves up and motivate themselves. So, um, you know, they're like I said before, they're both great coaches. They both just have very different coaching styles. Um, also, with Caleb, it's uh, obviously everybody knows his philosophy, so much possession-oriented. Uh, Siggy's a little bit more straightforward, you know, um, but yeah, uh, they 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 both they they both are great. And seeing seeing Caleb on the sideline at a, at a game, you know, when we both both turn professional, uh, it's it's incredible. And playing against guys like Darlington and uh, Zemanski, like it's it was it was unbelievable. Just to look up look up at those guys when you're at Akron and seeing their pictures on the walls to now playing against them in a professional game. Well, I mean, you had a little bit about that when, when you're playing, uh, you know, youth club for Seattle, then you play for the PDL team. So you've been able to experience almost every 
you know, every facet of the Seattle Sounders. I mean, did that help you with your transition when you went to the pro team that, that you've been a part of, you know, the Seattle Sounders for a couple of years and, and you knew what to expect, you knew what, you know, the MO of the club yeah. was. Did that help out your transition, make it easier? I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, because you're, you're just kind of engraved in the system. I mean, you're bought into the system. Um, I got training with the first team when I was with the academy, when I was with the U23. So, you know, I know their style of play. Um, it helps also that I, I knew the guys coming in, so I was comfortable with who I was playing with. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that definitely being in the system uh, from the start helped me a ton to make that transition. And as far as your position goes, uh, as you know, American fans love uh, young prospects, exciting young prospects, and you're one of those. Uh, as an attacking right back, how'd you end up kind of playing that position? Uh, who, who do you kind of model your game after? And, and also, what, what do you think about just this this attention you've gotten? I, I know you, I know you have to kind of feel that, like that people are are starting yeah. to talk about you, and, and there's already talk about you on the U20s and even even senior national team. Yeah. Like, there's already that stuff start, starting to build up. Uh, are you are you starting to feel that? And then how do you kind of deal with that? Yeah, I mean, um, so I started playing right back. Uh, it was actually at the U18 national camp. It was at U18 national camp in December, and Caleb Porter was actually one of the assistant coaches. And I was playing right mid. I got chosen for the camp as a right mid. But, you know, I wasn't really working out there, so he, you know, he got my athleticism, so uh, the potential I could have a right back. He put me back there. I did well at the camp, and then the next thing you know, I have email from Akron saying that they want to, you know, bring me in for an official visit and this and that and end up signing with them and then, you know, playing at Akron, which obviously helped me a ton to develop my game. And then, um, yeah, then, you know, going to the Sounders and playing there. But, um, yeah, the attention, it's I, – I, I honestly try to put it to the side because that stuff can, you know, get to people's heads and it can it can make you, you know, think positively, negatively. I just try to keep, you know, a balanced thinking and – um, just try to keep playing my game and do do what I can do, do whatever I can do to help the team. Um, so yeah, I mean the the attention's good. I mean everybody, obviously everybody likes attention, but it's it's definitely something that I try to you know keep on the side. Yeah, DeAndre, as an attacking right back, you know you're obviously moving up the field, uh, you know to, to help out the attack and, and to, to obviously help out the Sounders. You know, score some goals. You scored a uh, a big time goal. Uh, a couple weeks ago in CONCACAF play, what was running through your mind when the ball popped out and you shot it and you scored? I mean, break break that whole break down that whole thing for us. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think, that, yeah, it was a corner and, uh, like you said, the ball popped out and, you know, uh, it was kind of all or nothing there. You know, we needed we needed a score. So, you know, I thought, why not just take the chance? And um, to, I hit it and, I you you know, when you can tell that you, you've hit it well, and, you know, you don't know if really if it's going on frame, but you hit it well. Um, and it took a little deflection and threw the keeper off a little bit and went in, and that was amazing. I didn't really know what to do at that point because I think there was like 18,000 people at the stadium or something, but it was the loud, one of the loudest I've ever heard. Wait, you're, you're that, telling me? I mean, that may be because, that may be because uh, I was just on the moment, but <laughs> you, I don't know. It was, t- it was unbelievable. You, d- you don't have like a pre-planned dance or a move or anything like that? Yeah, no, not as, in that situation. I mean, I I didn't I wasn't really expecting to score obviously before the game, but I mean in that situation I didn't even know what to do. So I just started running and eventually made my way over to Siggy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So so 
obviously the U20s uh, qualified for the World Cup, and, and there's been a lot of talk since you've uh, taken over as a starter in Seattle about about the fact that you should be on that team. How, how come you weren't on that team in qualifying? Uh, how, how how much did you follow that, that U20 qualifying process, and did you kind of feel like you should have been there? And, and how excited are you at the possibility of being on that team that goes to Turkey? Um, I, I actually didn't get to see any of the games, but I talked to some of the players like Will Trapp and uh, Mikey, um, and yeah, they they said it was you know it's an amazing experience. Like the the, the challenge is is it's a big challenge, but um, you know it was fun. And uh, I mean the, the the criticism about not being on the team or whatever, you know, I just I just uh, you use the people that say I shouldn't shouldn't be there as you know kind of fire and motivation. I mean, um, I, I like I like that kind of stuff. So. You use it as motivation, and um, I'm extremely excited about that chance. I mean, that's a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that every, I mean, every player, every young player wishes they could have. And, um, you know, fortunately, I may have that opportunity, and um, I'm going to take it and work, work for it and give all I can to, to be able to be on the team for Turkey. Have, have you had a chance to talk to Tab, uh, the U-20 coach Tab Ramos, after the qualifying tournament, has he been in touch? And, and I mean, I, I had seen reports suggesting that you will be in a camp with them at some point. I mean, is that? Can you give us kind of an update on that? Yeah, I, I actually haven't talked to him. I just, you know, I've I've talked to my agent and um, talked to the camp coordinator, and you know, got got information about that. But no, I haven't talked to him personally. You know, we'd be doing a, a grave injustice on this show if we didn't ask you about your hair. You had the hair last uh-huh. year. I mean, hair you said is even getting crazier than what it than what it used to be. You know, what's what's the uh-huh. future for the hair? Why do you have it? What what's the deal? Um, well, it it all started with uh, I was <laughs> with my room or not my my roommate, one of my friends in Akron, Kristen, and he's a he's a Colombian kid, and he absolutely loved Neymar. So he would watch videos literally twenty four seven just of Neymar, and I didn't know who it was at the time, but um, I asked him and. At first, I didn't like it, but then it, it kind of grew on me as hair, and, you know, I thought, you know, why not try this, just be, be different. Uh, well, not really different, because I'm copying him, but <laughs> uh, different for Americans. Um, so I tried it and, you know, just kind of kind of kept growing and tried different things with it, and um, eventually he's grown into this. And, you know, ne- next, I'm, I'm not really sure. I'm prob- I'll probably go a little bit shorter, um, maybe take it, a little, take it down a little bit, make it a little bit less crazy. But uh, you know, for now it's it's good. I mean, it it. I mean, it gives me it gives it highlights me, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's good for now. What what was the what was the haircut before that? I mean, what, I mean, did what was the normal DeAndre haircut? I mean, what can you tell us? Nor- what, in high school, the, the normal DeAndre haircut was it was just you know uh, t- your typical fade. Or I had a, since before I got my hair straight, my hair was extremely curly and thick, so. Um, I had kind of like a full hot cut like that, but it wasn't anything crazy. You know, it was just something that you see every day. So, are you, are you surprised by the by the reaction? I don't know if you caught it the other day. Uh, Omar Gonzalez uh, uh, threw a tweet at you. He called you Furio from a from I forget what movie that that's from. But I mean, you get national team I, players pointing out the hair. You know, that's big. You're big time now. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, did, I didn't actually catch that tweet, but I'll, I'll have to look at that. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of, it's one of those things that is is pretty pretty surreal. I mean, Omar Gonzalez is an absolutely amazing player. Just to get recognized by him is 
incredible. What's what's the funniest nickname you've heard so far associated with your hair? Um, probably Rufio. I I'm, I get that one all the time, and you know, it as as much as as much I'm as much as I'm like you know tensed up about it, it makes me laugh because it's it's true. I mean, I can't deny it. So you're, so you're going to change it? Is that what you're telling us? You you you, you something uh, something crazy? Not 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 super soon, but at, at some time, yeah, I'm not going to have this for for the rest of my life. <laughs> DeAndre, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight, and uh, we appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me. I was, uh, I'm convinced, man, that you should get hair like Yedlin. I mean, I'd probably take you 20 years to grow your hair out at your age now, but uh, I think you could do it. At my age, I love this guy. <laughs> Listen, I don't. My, I tell you what, my 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 nine year old son has great hair. He's got hair like I used to have. Uh, I might I might get him uh, I might get him wait, on the DeAndre wait, wait. Yedlin Ivis, hair kick. Ivis, when you were okay, g- give me a picture here. When you were 16 and you were 18, just crushing it back in the day. What type of hair did you have? I had the fade, man. I had the fade. I had the tight fade in the sides. Uh, you know, I, I, as you know, I'm, I, I grew up in the hood. So I had the, had the fade. You grew up on a cul-de-sac. I it pretty well. You grew up on a cul-de-sac. Stop it. Listen, man. Anytime you're in Jersey, I will drive you to my hood where I grew up. And trust me, you will be afraid for your life. No, I, I, maybe. All right. <laughs> Ivis. Yedlin. Um, you know, there's so much to say about this kid having such a great season at right back. You know, obviously drawing attention for his performances. And, I mean, obviously this is good for, you know, for, for everyone and for U.S. soccer to, to have, you know, budding young stars like this. Without a doubt. And it's funny, you know, we had, we just had DeAndre on. And, obviously, a few weeks ago we had Jose Villarreal on. And, and the great thing about these, these, these kids is, you know, not only are they outstanding young soccer players, and, and they're, they're, but they're also mature beyond their years. I mean, they, they're teenagers, but, you know, they have their heads on straight. They're very intelligent. And, and, and you feel like they're... They're, they're well equipped to deal with what's coming uh, ahead, which is, you know, obviously a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. And, and you know, they both know that that's coming. And, and the good thing about it is I think they're both in good situations uh, to, to grow and mature, you know, playing for two of the best coaches in MLS. And, and I do want to make a point. You know, we did talk about earlier about the whole question of salary cap and whether or not that's keeping teams down in MLS, especially in relation to CONCACAF. Uh, but one point I will make is, it's, it, you know, guys like Villarreal and Yedlin, as great as they are, there there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, when you talk about really young players getting the chance to play in meaningful games, and I think if you want to talk about ed, uh, you know advantages or strengths that Mexican the Mexican league has and Mexican teams have, mm-hmm. is that they play their young players. Uh, you know they take their their twenty year old players, their nineteen year olds, their twenty one year olds. They put them in big games. They put they play them. You know I, I know they're they're certain uh, rules in place in the Mexican league that 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 makes teams play younger players. And they reap the rewards of that because they have they have you know it gives them deeper teams, it gives them younger players who are ready to make impacts at a, at an earlier age, and and that's something that MLS you know they're behind on right now, but at least we're starting to see with guys like you know Yedlin, Villarreal, Jack McBean as well for the Galaxy. But you know when people want to talk about depth and, and talk about the salary cap and all oh, the cap, if the cap was bigger, this and that, you know what makes a team deeper? Strong development system and a strong academy system because then you have that pipeline of talent coming through uh, and that's why you have teams like Monterey, Santos Laguna that that you know they crank out star like top players in those leagues uh, uh top quality national team prospects and and I think MLS you know if you want to talk about where areas where MLS can catch up that is definitely one 
Well, I think it's getting there, and it, it will get there with time. I mean, Yedlin, I think, is the uh, example of that, a guy who went through the academy, played for the PDL team, now playing for for the senior team. I think that will be, you know, the, the example going forward. Is that safe to say, Ivis, that that's what teams are, you know, obviously going to start striving to? Well, that's the goal, obviously. Um, but, again, it, it's going to take time. Uh, but And that's the thing, you know, like people want to talk about the salary cap and, oh, you know, if MLS spent, you know, a few more million, then they'd have a, a cup, they'd be able to have a couple of uh, good quality veterans on the bench. Uh, but guess what? If you if you do that, then you have even less room for young players. You have even less room for young American players. I know a lot of people were, were, were pointing to Michael Stevens uh, and his play uh, against Monterey when he got beaten on the cross that led to the goal. And how, you know, oh, once Janino went out, then Michael Stevens came in and there was such a drop-off. And that's because of the salary cap. But you know what? Listen, Michael Stevens is a talented young American player. When when will the young American players get a chance to play if you start filling your roster with 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 expensive uh, older players? I mean, they're, they're, you do want depth, but at the same time, you need to start. You needed to be able to develop your young talent. Mm-hmm. And I think MLS is heading in that direction. Uh, so people need to stop talking about the salary cap. Is, is, does the cap need to go up? Yes. But again, that is not why these teams, these specific teams, lost or are losing these series. No, I, I agree. Let's. I mean, look, you, you take the Sounders, guy from their academy playing for them. Galaxy, they got guys coming up through their academy playing for them. So, I mean, other teams are, you know, they're going to start getting their players moving up in, and that's going to be important for this league. All right, Ivan, let's, uh, let's change subjects here. Uh, today, a couple of names came out for the uh, introduction to the to the U.S. Hall of Fame. Uh, who was on that list? And, uh, you know, obviously their contributions were huge. Well, the two, two, two players, that, the two former players that, that were uh, voted in to the Hall of Fame were Peter Vermees and Joe Max Moore. Uh, obviously, people, you know, younger younger readers and listeners know Vermees as the sporting Kansas City head coach. But, you know, obviously he was a key player on the U.S. national team for years and and he was also uh, you know something that maybe he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves he was a pioneer uh, in terms of american players going to europe and playing their trade in european leagues uh you know he's someone who did that he enjoyed success in multiple leagues in europe and also joe max moore who was voted in uh, through the regular player ballot you know i, I don't, I don't <laughs> unless you're like a teenager you should know who joe max moore is he was definitely a a great versatile player on the U.S. national team, and he also was someone who you know excelled at MLS, but also went to Europe and and, play, and showed well in Europe. So you know the, these are both very deserving guys. I think for me is for me. He's someone who I've been voting for for you know for years. I feel like he should have been on you know way before now, and and that's not just because he's from New Jersey, but uh, you know definitely two two worthy guys, two two worthy uh, recipients of, of what's a pretty impressive honor. Joe Maxwell was a big part for the team, you know, like you said, 100 caps for the U.S. team, scored 24 goals, you know, very important for that. And, you know, there's a couple guys who are approaching that 100 cap thing, but as those guys get older, younger guys come in. And one of those young guys that we saw in that Mexico game was Matt Beasler, looked very good in that game, came back for Sporting Kansas City, looked good this weekend. Uh, You had to be happy with his play and uh, what he's been able to do. Well, without a doubt, you know, when you talk about that U.S.-Mexico game, I don't think there was a single player that was more surprising in terms of their their ability to impact that game than Beesler. I mean, him and Omar, you know, both him and Omar Gonzalez, they they both played well. But Beesler, I mean, for him to come in and in, in only his second cap, I mean, mm-hmm. to make your second cap, your first World Cup qualifying appearance, come at Azteca against Mexico against Chicharito. I mean, it, it, you know, it's really a storybook in a way for him to come in there. And play well, and, and really help kind of shut down Chicharito. I know, I know he still had chances, and he could have scored, 
but he didn't. And at the end of the day, you know, when you came away from that game feeling like that that's the first step in what could be a really good national team career for Beaster. He didn't show any any nerves. I mean, he, you know, the beginning of the game, you know, you could say maybe there were some moments there, but he settled in really quickly. I mean, considering when he, he found out about his, that he was going to start, he found out that morning that he was going to start. Mm-hmm. And and for him to come out there, play the game he played, I mean, here he's a guy who's he's he's gone from being kind of on the fringes of the center back conversation to being right in the middle of it. And, and, you know, you have to like, you know, a month ago you were, you know, a lot of people were worried about the center back position. And I'm not saying that, you know, the position is, is locked down now with European top flight players, but you have to like some of these guys and where they are right now. I mean, I know Omar Gonzalez, a lot of people are, are talking about the play against Monterey, but he still was absolutely outstanding against Mexico and Beesler absolutely boosted his stock a ton with his performance. I agree with you on that. And speaking of Beezer, we have him on the line right now, the Sporting Kansas City center back. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure having you on. Congratulations on the call-up to the U.S. men's national team. Thank you very much. You know, Matt, you haven't been shy about your uh, aspirations of, you know, obviously wanting to play for the U.S. men's team and also starting for the U.S. men's team. You had that opportunity against Mexico, when you received that call-up and, and Jurgen told you that you were going to get the start in that game, what was going through your mind? Well, obviously, my, my initial reaction was excitement. I, uh, I felt like I was ready. Um, I think there was a little bit of me that was anxious and definitely nervous. But um, the more I thought about it and the closer I got to the game, I, the, the more confident and, and comfortable I was. And uh, I was I was honestly just ready to get out there and, and do my thing. Now, now, when we talked down in Mexico, you said that you found out that morning that you were actually going to get the start. So, uh, I mean, you, you seem to handle yourself pretty well in that game. Talk, talk about that that day and how that day just kind of came together, you know, fu- you know, getting that kind of short notice, and all of a sudden you're in front of 100,000 uh, screaming Mexicans. Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, we just we, we woke up and we had our, our team breakfast and uh, kind of just laid around uh, until our, our team meeting. It was around 11 or 11.30 in the morning. And we we were walking into the team meeting and, and Jurgen actually stopped me um, on the outside of the door and just kind of pulled me to the side and he was like, you know, Matt, uh, I just want to let you know we're, we're, we're starting you tonight. You know, we believe in you and... Uh, I'm excited for you. But I wanted to let you know, um, you know, one-on-one before you found out, you know, in front of the team. So, um, yeah, he, he told me that, and I walked walked back into the meeting room, and, and everyone came came in. We had our meeting and, you know, went over the set pieces and assignments and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, then I had about seven hours to uh, to put my feet up and relax and, and think about the game. Now, as far as the game itself, obviously you had a great game. You and Omar uh, worked really well together. What what are, you, what are your memories of, of the game itself? And obviously going in, you have a tough challenge uh, playing against the forward like Chicharito Hernandez. Talk about the challenges that he presented and, and how you kind of just ad- adapted on the fly going up against a guy that good. Yeah, I mean, I everyone knows that Chicharito in and around the box is one of the best in the world. Um, so I knew that going in, but you know, you never really um, understand what it's like until you face him. 
and his movement is just it's it's unbelievable really he uh he he almost makes his runs off of you and so if if you're making your run to cover the near post he'll he'll read that and he'll go to the far post um he'll kind of wait and see where you move and then he'll move the opposite way and i think that's how he kind of creates his space and that that was kind of fun for me to to kind of feel out and see and um you know after the game i was thinking about him and i was like you know what that's that's why he gets so open in the box and i i kind of figured it out and so yeah i mean looking back that that was kind of a, a fun moment for me you know the atmosphere in Azteca is, is always crazy and it's always interesting to see on tv what really goes on there you know, but for you, when, when you were out there, I mean, you saw the fans and the chants and everything that was going on. What was that at- atmosphere like for you on the field? It's it's one I'll always remember. That's for sure. I think I think once the game started, I, I really got into a zone and got into a rhythm. So I didn't notice a whole lot of of stuff going on in the crowd uh, once the game was playing. But it's it's something you definitely take notice during the warm ups and. Um, I'll remember the the national anthems. Um, I'll re- I'll remember that the most because the entire stadium was whistling, and we could not hear the national anthem at all. And we were kind of wondering, you know, what was going on. We we just couldn't hear anything. And then all of a sudden, it got silent, and our anthem was apparently over. And then they started playing the Mexican national anthem, and everyone started singing. So. That uh, that that part I'll remember. So, so uh, it, as far as just going there again, now you were called in for the August game. Uh, were you were you down in Mexico for that? If I if I remember correctly. Yeah, I was I was down for that. Um, I, I was on the twenty three uh, on the bench that day, and but I did not get into the game. See so now, do you remember watching that game in the stands and kind of? I mean, did it occur to you? I mean, at that point, you know, you're not, you're not, you didn't dress for the game in August. You're sitting there watching the game. Did you? Did it ever even cross your mind that you'd be on that field? You know, six months later, five months later, you know, in a qualifier. Not really. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, wasn't thinking that far ahead. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if you were to tell me that I'd come back six or seven months later and start in my first World Cup qualifier and and we'd get a shutout, I'd, I'd be very happy with that for sure. You know, uh, Matt, one of the things in the game that, that was especially evident was the partnership that you and Omar had in the back line, and that started in January in that camp, and, you know, we can sing all the praises how important that January camp is, but, you know, for a guy like you, you know, who, who wants to be on, you know, a regular starter for the U.S. men's national team, you know, that camp in January, how important was that for you to, you know, to one, excel there, and, and two, to have that partnership that you have with Omar? I mean, it was it was almost, it was everything, really, for me. I've, I've been waiting, you know, to get a chance and to get a look. And, um, you know, I got called in for the first time for that Mexico friendly, but that was only a three-year camp. And, you know, we didn't get a really chance to practice a whole lot because we were preparing for the match. So I... I took the January camp very seriously going into it, and you know, I, I kind of realized this is my first chance, and it could be my only chance to 
to get an extended look in front of the coaches. I mean, we were we had two practices a day right in front of right in front of Jurgen, you know, twice a day on the field. And so what better opportunity than that? And we were there for three weeks. And so um that's that's kind of the approach that I took. That was just a great opportunity for me. Uh something that I've been waiting for. And then, you know, with Omar, you know, at the beginning of the camp, me and Omar both kind of realized that um the center back positions open right now. And I think we, we got a lot of reps together in practice and we both kind of just set off of each other. I mean, I pushed him and he pushed me and uh, I think we both, you know, formed a partnership during that time. So uh, we're, we're definitely comfortable playing with each other and uh, Omar is really easy to play with. I think he's a great player and, and I'm hoping that we get to play together um, a lot more times. And as far as to get away from the Nash team for a little bit, this offseason, you obviously had a big decision to make yourself uh, on the club side, uh, whether or not to re-sign uh, with Sporting Kansas City. You were a free agent and uh, your contract ran out last season. Uh, talk, about, mm-hmm. talk, talk, talk to me about just that decision-making process and how close were you to leaving it. I mean, from what, from what, I've, what I've heard, you, re- you really, really wanted to come back and play in Kansas City. What, what ultimately kind of led you to that decision to re-sign? Yeah, I mean, I, it wasn't, it's not just, you know, coming back to Kansas City. You know, I'm, I grew up here and, and I, I'm from Kansas City and I, I really love, love everything about it. But, you know, that, the city itself wasn't, you know, that big of a factor. It was, it was sporting TV. It was the organization. I wanted to come back and, and play for the team. Um, I, I really believe that, you know, we have one of the best teams in MLS and that we have a great chance at winning championships. And so that's something that I that I kind of wanted to be a part of and I didn't want to miss out on. Um, but through the process, I mean, I, I definitely looked around um, and I wanted to see what was out there. But at the end of the day, after kind of looking around, the opportunity um, wasn't quite there. And, and and so in the end, it, it kind of was an easy decision to come back um, to Kansas City. Now, a few few guys actually did leave, uh, or at least one, Roger Espinosa did leave on a free, and then obviously Kakamaros is at Norwich on a loan. Um, mm-hmm. So you're, you're you're a different team coming into this year. How much motivation is there for you guys? Just just the way last year ended. I mean, obviously you had such a great year regular season, you win the U.S. Open Cup, and then things kind of ended abruptly uh, against Houston in the playoffs. Uh, how, how much of that, how much is that kind of a driving force for you guys to kind of get back there and and, and beat, you know, hopefully feet, uh, face Houston again and maybe beat those guys and, and, and clear that final hurdle? Yeah, there, there's a lot of motivation. Um, it's, it wasn't just last year, too. It's It was the year before that and, and maybe even the year before that, so it's kind of been a two two to three year process, and I feel like we are ready. You know, it's the time is kind of now to to make the jump, and you know, we're we're using that as a challenge. And I think I think it's easy to to just assume though that we're going to make the playoffs, and that you know everyone's talking. Well, this year, you know, we we finally we got to make it past Houston, and we got to make it to the MLS Cup. 
well, we we got to get there first. You know, we our our number one goal right now is to make make the playoffs, and that's that's not easy. And every year is is kind of a new year, and the, the MLS is such an even league that you know making the playoffs every year that's that's not an easy thing to do. So, um, you know, hopefully we. I feel like we're on track right now um, with the way we're playing. It's obviously a long season, but you know, once we get into the playoffs, then we can start thinking about, all right, you know, let's learn from last year and, and let's make that next move. Yeah, now, as, as far as uh, w- one question I, I know a lot of people ha- ha- always ask is when it comes to players coming off international duty, that, that was your first, you know, your first uh, start in a qualifier against Mexico. And then you come right back and, and play a game on the weekend. What, what, what was that like for you, just kind of making that that jump? I mean, obviously you've played a, a, a ton of games through your career, but but that had to be mm-hmm. a unique experience to go from you know at Azteca, hundred thousand in, in such a crazy game, and then all, and then you're back in MLS. Did, did, did the game slow down for you in a way, or because I mean, you guys you definitely killed it against Montreal. Both you and Graham had had great games in that game. I mean, did, did it almost feel like the game had slowed down for you because of that experience? Yes and no. I, I think me and Graham both brought a lot of confidence back from that trip, and I think we will continue to play at a very confident level and a high level. Uh, at least that's the plan. Um, but I, you know, I think one of the things me and Graham we were sitting next to each other on the flight home from Mexico City, and you know, it was just such a crazy win on Tuesday night and all these emotions. But on Wednesday morning when we were flying back, we both looked and we said, I, how excited are you to play Montreal this weekend on Saturday? And we, we both were just pumped. We, we couldn't wait to get back and uh, Montreal was undefeated and we had him at home and we wanted to give him our first loss. So the, the mindset for us kind of changed, you know, pretty quickly. And, um, I know it kind of sounds cheesy, but but the quote and the the mindset that I had all week was, "You're only good as your last game," and so I I think I proved a good amount in the Mexico game, but I I needed to prove something as well um, against Montreal, and I think we did that as a team, and and now it's kind of on to the next game and you know week to week. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, it, it is very true how that how that goes that you can have. An amazing game, an amazing few games, and then if you if you do something wrong in the next game, people just forget all of a sudden. I think I think uh, Omar is actually kind of going through that himself right now with with, yeah. the Monterey, with the Monterey game. All of a sudden, he's gone from you know unstoppable force to he's he made a mistake and now he's now he's not good anymore. So it's kind of crazy how that works out. So, so Matt, one one question I did have for you coming off that national team camp, you know, you had a camp in January, but you know now in March you actually had the chance to spend quite a bit of time with with the first team guys, you know, well, the ones that were healthy and actually not injured and were in the camp. Uh, just wanted to get your take. Who, who in the camp or w- which players would you say impressed you the most? Is there anyone that, you know, just with the quality of play uh, stood out for you or really kind of caught your eye and impressed you? Well, it was Michael Carley. Um, we are ready And we both, you know, he was in show when his dad was coaching the fire. And so, me being from Kansas City, we, we grew up playing on the same regional ODP team. So I haven't seen Michael play in, well, since he got drafted, so like, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago. And so for me to be back with him and, um, 
you know, see how he's progressed as a player. I, I think he's, he's one of the best players on the team that's not the best right now. And so, so for me, I mean, he, he was, he was, he's impressive. He's a really good player. So you played with him before the growth spurt. You played with him, is that right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. When he was kind of the smallest playmaking midfielder. People, people don't kind of remember that. Like before the growth spurt and before he became as big, as big as he is, he, he was, he was, you know, very technical kind of playmaking midfielder, if I recall, from the youth teams. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a, a great way to describe him. And now you see the, the physical part of his game and the fitness part of his game, and he's, he's just taken off. He's a whole different player. You know, Matt, is, I'm the oldest of four boys, so I'm convinced in my family that I'm the best athlete no matter what. But when you get together with your brother Nick, who's the best athlete? Of course me. He can't beat me yet. Is, would, um, would he actually say that, or, or, or is this just your opinion? Oh, no, he would say him for sure. <laughs> but that's, that's uh, I mean, I guess that's the attitude that we both have, is that we're we're super competitive, and uh, actually, we have a, a brother in between us. His name's Mike, and he was a, a very, very good athlete too. He didn't play uh, soccer; he played football, and basketball. And so, um, yeah, I mean, anytime we get back, Nick and Mike were both back for Easter um, last weekend, and uh, everything's competitive. It's uh, it's pretty fun to be around. Yeah, I, I saw that uh, hilarious Easter picture of you guys. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nick's, Nick's so competitive. He was mad that he was in the back picture and he got to be in front. And so that's not fair. So yeah, for, for the for the listeners and, and our readers who, who might not be up on Nick uh, Nick's game, uh, I mean we've written, we write a lot about college soccer. Definitely mentioned phone. Okay, can you give us the scouting report on Nick Beisler and, and, and tell tell us what it, do you see him in the league pretty soon? Yeah, um, I do. I, I do. I you know he's a sophomore this season or this year, so um, his team had had a very very good regular season. They they got the number one overall seed in the tournament, but lost to uh, Indiana. Um, he he played a uh, a very good amount this year, and he uh, I think he was one of the better sophomores in the Big East, and so. He uh, he's still got a, a lot of things to work on, but I think if he continues to you know progress, um, you know his junior year, maybe he gets some looks uh, to leave. But uh, definitely his senior year, I, I think he'll he'll definitely get a chance to uh, prove himself at uh, some team. Individually as a player, I think he's a he's a big kid. He's really solid. Um, I, I think his passing is probably the best part of his game. Um, but again, I mean, he, he's just as as long as he develops, you know, gets a little bit faster, gets a little stronger. Um, I think he'll get a chance. Well, Matt, as always, it's a it's a pleasure to catch up and uh, talk to you. And uh, thank you for jumping on the show with us today. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. And Ivis, it's great to see a guy like Matt Beasler. You know, like I said earlier, I mean, he, he was never shy about his expectations for what he wants himself out of player. You know, and you want that. You want to see these young guys come up and say, this is what I want to be at, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to make it happen. And you know what? He made it happen, and he looked good. And I think Beezer is going to be obviously in consideration for the next call-up for the U.S. team when, when they take on the two friendlies, Belgium and Germany, and they have the three other World Cup qualifying games. Well, he'll absolutely be in that conversation. And, 
you know, it, when you look at that potential tandem, I mean, assuming Jeff Cameron stays at right back, which you know obviously isn't a lock, because you know if you're if you're Jurgen Klinsmann, you might like you might prefer Cameron in the middle. Um, but if you don't, if 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 Chirundolo take you know can't get quite all the he can't get all the way back, if Timmy Chandler has any issues, you could see Jeff Cameron at right back, and you could see this Beesler Gonzalez combo, and I think they fit really well together. I mean, when you talk about uh, you know Gonzalez being that big strong aerial threat, and then you have Beesler who's the, that technical left-footed player mm-hmm. who reads the game really well. He's also a strong player. He's not a weak weak player by any means. So I think they're they're really feed off each other really well. They're, they're, they really fit together as a center-back tandem. And, uh, you know, I want to see those guys go up against, you know, when you talk about teams like Belgium and Germany, those high-end teams, to really see how they kind of stack up. Uh, you know, when you start talking about looking ahead to 2014 and, and can they really help the U.S. get beyond that group stage and get past that second round. Um, but, again, you know, step baby steps, first things first, great game against Mexico. But now we're going to see in these coming months how they keep doing in MLS and how they do in those games in May and June. Well, speaking of Beasler, his uh, his team, Sporting Kansas City, is going to be taking on DC United this weekend. Sporting Kansas City, uh, you know, looked like they kind of figured it out this weekend. Uh, they beat Montreal. I'm, I'm sorry, they beat the Montreal Impact last weekend, uh, two to zero. And uh, I mean, they they look like they're going to uh, get things going here. I mean, they haven't given up a goal now in three games. I mean, last year we talked about how great their defense was. Game this week is uh, in Sporting is in uh, Sporting Park. Excuse me. I think uh, Sporting Kansas City will, uh, will will win this game. Oh yeah, that's. I mean, you have to get pick them. You have to say they're the favorites, especially when you know that the news came out today that DC United, uh, the Dwindy Rosario, will not is not making the trip. He did not make the trip. He won't be in this game. So you're talking about a DC attack that's been struggling badly, and now on top of that, they they don't have Dwindy Rosario. So I mean, I think at this point, the only way they can come away with anything out of that game, in my opinion, is if Bill Hamid stands on his head and has another one of these outrageous games that he's had. And he's, you know, he's, he's capable of doing it. I mean, I got to tell you, you know, when you talk about, you know, players being motivated by snubs and, and not being called in, Bill Hamid is on a mission. And, you know, he did have a bit of a blunder against Columbus. But, I mean, every game this year, he's made outrageous saves and he's really coming into his own. He's really maturing. He's someone that, you know, DC's going to need them to do that because they just aren't scoring goals. Uh, in the next game, Ivis, we have Toronto. I'm sorry. Wait, what's your pick in that game? Oh, I'm picking, K- I'm picking KC. You know okay, what I mean? I, Graham oh, no, Zuzzi's back. Good. He's rolling. Benny Fellhaber's coming off the best best game of his year. And I think Claudio Beeler, after missing chance after chance uh, last week, I mean, he did score a goal, but he missed I don't know how many chances. Broke my heart as a fantasy owner. I think Beeler. I think Beeler could have a big game. All right, in the uh, in another game here that we're going to look at. Actually, we're going to look at all the games here. So the next game uh, on the schedule is going to be FC Dallas taking on Toronto FC. It's going to be in Toronto FC Dallas. Uh, they are currently first place in the Western Conference. Toronto, obviously, still trying to figure things out uh, with all their movements there. You know, Dallas. They looked. They've looked pretty good this year so far. Ivis, what, what's your take on them? Well, you know, I, I'm not taking anything away from them. They, they, you got to give them the credit. They're playing well. Oh. They're taking advantage of every every opportunity that comes their way. Uh, in, in some, you know, games that you know, just last week, New England, it's zero zero. New England, that tough defense that they have there, and they find a goal, Blas Perez. But you know what? I think Dallas's midfield is playing so well right now that I think you have to like them. Uh, their chances in Toronto, I mean, as tough as it'll be for them to go on the road, I think David Ferreira. I think Michelle and Andrew Jacobson, that, that, that group in midfield, was playing really well for Dallas. 
And I think it's going to help give them an edge over a Toronto team that isn't as bad as maybe some people think. Toronto's a better team, I think, than they were. They've added some good pieces, but I still think, I think Dallas is just rolling right now, and, and I think they're going to go up there with a lot of confidence. Yeah, it's crazy to see. I mean, that was the thing we always talked about with Dallas. Is the mean they might be a year or two away from from figuring it out, but I mean, you're right I mean, with with Castillo, with Ferreira. And I mean, with Cooper up top, and I mean George Young at center back, I mean they kind of have a good thing going right now. Well, really, I'm, I tell you, it bo- and you know when we did our preview in the in the beginning of the year, we did our preseason preview. I told you my back then that my issue with them was their midfield and how they'd make up for the loss of Julian de Guzman, and they and they found the player in Michelle. You know he he's been great, he's been outstanding, and I feel like Andrew Jacobson is also coming into his own now. So those two guys, the work that they've done has been really key to helping that Dallas team kind of take a step up to a new level. I mean, I think their schedule has also benefited them. Uh, I, 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 you can't deny that. I mean, a lot of things have broken their way in that regard, but the fact is they're racking up the points and they're gaining confidence. Well, they don't choose the schedule. They have to play it. So, you know, that's the way the schedule works, Ivis. That's right. Hey, I tell you what, I'm not, I'm not going to take anything away from them. You've got to give them the credit for, for, for getting the points they're getting. But I think the test will come later on when we start playing teams like the Galaxy uh, and, and teams that, you know, uh, when they play Salt, you know, Real Salt Lake with their full, you know, complement of players, then, we'll, then I think we'll, we'll get to see what, what the real deal is with Dallas. But right now, they're, they're getting it done. All right. In the uh, next game we got here, we have the Columbus Crew uh, hosting the Philadelphia Union. Union lost last week to the uh, Red Bulls. They put themselves, you know, in a good position to win that game. Connor Casey had that header, uh, but the Red Bulls lost when Henri appeared on the scoreboard for the first time, your boy. Uh, the Columbus crew right now, uh, I mean, they got two wins, one loss, one tie. I mean, they, they look like a team that, you know, like we said, I mean, they're going to they're gonna be up and down type of thing. But, I mean, Philadelphia is another team that we talked about. You know, they're not going to go away. So, I mean, this could be a matchup of two teams there five months from now where look, we could look back at this matchup and go, well, the winner of this is the reason why they're going to the playoffs. Uh, I mean, that's a, that might be a little bit of a stretch to say. I mean, I think both these teams are teams that, you know, if they're going to make the playoffs, I think they're going to be making it as a five seed. You know, maybe Columbus well, could be a four seed. It's a fringe, uh, fringe, I, fringe thing, fringe. Thing. Right. I mean, I think Columbus, I think for me, you got to give them the edge a bit. I mean, you know, for one thing, they're at home. And and they're also coming off a bye week. And, and I think that rest will help them. Federico Higuain is such a terror. And you know Philly knows all about him. Philly, you know he he he, uh, he helped come back. You know lead a comeback against him last year, late in the season. So I got to give the edge to Columbus in this one. I think Philly's going to start to hit the skids a little bit until they get Cleverson, uh, the Brazilian midfielder, acclimated to their their squad. Uh, I think they're going to struggle a bit. They're coming back down to earth after that decent start to the season. I, I have to give the edge to the crew in this one. All right, Ivis, let's move on to another game. Let's move on to my boys, Real Salt Lake, taking on Colorado. Real Salt Lake. Uh, they, uh, they lost to FC Dallas. They were not at full strength. They come back, and they beat Seattle at full strength. They, they had about six six or five of their regular starters back, and uh, they looked pretty good in that game. Robbie Finley, we had a Robbie Finley sighting, scored a goal, but he injured himself uh, out two to four weeks. I still think that we also like, will we'll defeat the Colorado Rapids in Colorado. Yeah, i got to tell you, the Rapids are struggling. Uh, you know, they, they, they've had a lot of injuries. Uh, although, you know, one of the injuries, Matt Pickens, uh, you know, ha- bre- breaking his form has opened a door for goalkeeper Clint Irwin to be kind of one of the, the bright spots for them. They've had a few rookies step up, but just as a team, they're really not playing all that great. That they, they blew a two-goal lead last week to, to, to Portland, a game they could have won and probably should have won. So 
Real Salt Lake, on the other hand, they're playing really well, even though Sabaria was hurt last week. They plug in a rookie, Devin Sandoval, plays great. New Mexico product uh, plays great for them, and they just keep getting it done. You know, they, they don't run out of talent. I mean, and, you know, Jason Christen, Garth Lagerway, there's a reason they're one of the best tandems in the league when it comes to evaluating talent and, and, and personnel. And, and, you know, you have to like the chances uh, to win that one on the road in the Rocky Mountain rivalry. Uh, you know, you just have to like their chances. All right, uh, moving on, you got another game here. Uh, Houston Dynamo traveling up to Portland to take on the Timbers. Uh, Timbers came back, scored two goals late, courtesy of Will Johnson. Uh, but Houston Dynamo, I mean, they, they pretty much gave San Jose headaches all week long. I'm, I'm sorry, not all week long, all game long last week. Uh, I think the Houston Dynamo will uh, will take the victory over Portland, and Portland will still be looking for that first W. I don't know, man. I gotta tell you, I don't. I don't know if that's uh, necessarily a lock. Obviously, Houston is is unbeatable at home. They have been since they opened that place. But on the road, it's not necessarily the the same thing. And I think Portland is is better than you know their results show. They've really come out slow a few times. At pretty much every game, they they they've fallen behind. But in all except one of those games, they've been able to come back, fight back, earn a point. And, and you know, I think at a certain point. You know they're going to put it together uh, defensively. You know have a strong first half to go with a strong second half, and I think this could be the one. I think this could be the matchup and upset. I think we could have an upset in the making. And one of the inter- interesting things about this game that maybe people won't realize or notice is that it's a matchup of former teammates. Uh, Caleb Porter and Dom Kinnear were teammates uh, as pros, and uh, now they'll be on the sidelines. Obviously, Kinnear has a little more experience as a coach, but I think Caleb Porter. You know I think he's been doing a great job with you know making the adjustments at halftime to get his team going. I think this could be the game that they turn it around and knock off the Dynamo. Ooh, that's a, that's a big pick right there. Next game. Well, it, well hey, oh, just no, one sorry. other thing. Hey, Will Bruin is out for them. So, I mean, I think that's something else you have to think about when you talk about the Dynamo and why they might be vulnerable this week. Interesting. We get, now the next game we have here, we have Van, uh, Vancouver going to San Jose. San Jose, uh, Alan Gordon is now back for San Jose, so they're going to have a big target for it up top. And uh, San Jose, Earthquakes, I mean, they, they pretty much kind of same start to the season for both of these teams. I think San Jose will take it home over Vancouver. You know, the Earthquakes are an interesting one. You know, they, they for all the injuries they had, they should be so much worse right now. Their record should be worse than it is, but they just have found a way to get results. I mean, obviously last week going to Houston, it was it was a tough task. Uh, you know, it was a lot to ask of them to go there shorthanded and get a win there. But, you know, I think coming back home against the Vancouver side that is struggling now, that had that I think you know Vancouver against Chivas USA last week, they just looked flat defensively. They had some real breakdowns in the first half. There are some questions about that Whitecaps defense now and how they're handling life without Jay Demerit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all the young attacking talent on that Whitecaps team, they can't quite get it together. They can't quite you know put points on the put goals on the board the way you would think they would be able to. And San Jose, I think their defense with Victor Bernardez, with Justin Morrow, Jason Hernandez, you know, I I think they're at home. I think they're just going to be too tough. And I got to like the earthquakes in that one. In the last game this weekend, we have Chicago taking on your boys, the New York Red Bulls. Uh, Who do you have in this game, Ivis? Well, you know, this is a, (laughs) this is a tough one. The, The Red Bulls, uh, they've always. They, they, it seems like lately they've just found a way to lose on the road, or, or found a way to drop points on the road. But they're playing a fire team that is struggling so badly right now, and the team that's missing Arn Friedrich so badly in their defense. Uh, you know, they're they're getting Sean Johnson back. They're coming off what by week they had a week to really work out the kinks, and Frank Lopez has had a week to kind of try to figure out what is the best lineup to get a result, uh, to to squeeze a result out of that group, and. Uh, you know, I think the Red Bulls 
with Henri back, I mean, I don't know if he's still ready to start or not, or if he's going to have to come off the bench again. Uh, I think I have to give the Red Bulls the edge just because the fire are just not playing well at all. And I think the Red Bulls are, are riding a pretty good wave of confidence now coming off their first win. Uh, it's a game on grass. Tim Cahill is supposed to play. It seems like he's going to play. So, you know, as much as I hate to think the idea of the fire again, losing again, uh, you got to go with the Red Bulls just because the fire is struggling so badly. Well, I guess that, uh, that wraps up the show right there. We've got all the picks. We had some uh, great interviews today, and uh, everyone uh, is going to be uh, looking forward to a great uh, weekend of uh, MLS action. Right, and uh, just one thing I do want to point out before we forget to point out, in case you hadn't noticed, we are going with the name change. We are dropping podcast, and we are yes. going to now be the SBI show. And uh, part of that is obviously one day we'd like to be a TV show, and the other reason is Garrett just kept calling it that because he keeps forgetting the name of the show. So we figure, why not just make it that so then he won't keep messing up. I'm concerned about, I mean, I think you have a face for radio. I mean, my face is pretty good for TV. I, I don't know about that, Ivis. I'll tell you what. I, yeah. I'd be much better live than you are because once we're on live, all your all your little foibles will be all there for everyone to see. So I don't know. I think you got I think you got to step your game up. I'll, I'll step up my game. I'll, I'll uh, I do you know, do work a live show. I, I do you a work live on your, uh, I do a live show. Delivery. I do a live show Mondays at nine thirty. Arizona Soccer Talk. If anyone wants to listen to it, we talk all things Arizona soccer. I'm pretty sure both guys that listen to that show think it's kind of quite. We cool. we had a caller last week. And I butchered it. It was so bad. I said. I said. It was bad. I don't, you know, I don't even want to talk about it. It was so bad. You had a caller. Yes, it was so bad. And and then how, how did your guy, mom get the? No, it was not my mom. It was some guy. And I said, "Hey, man, how's it going?" He goes, "Good." And then, and then I go, yeah. And then I go, that I think I said, like, "Were you at the Phoenix FC game?" And he goes, "Yes." And that was it. I was like, "Oh my god." Okay, confession. That was me. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, all right, Ivis. That that wraps up the show. Uh, today, um, uh, you have a uh, you have a great you have a great weekend. You too, my man. And uh, hopefully, we, people won't have to wait another week. We will be back on Sunday. We'll yes. have a show on Monday. I don't know who we're gonna get as guests, but I can guarantee you we're gonna get somebody good. Agree with you on that. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. This is the SBI Show.